So let me introduce our panel. This uh, man right here is Tim Anderson. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Burbank. Tim and I have been friends for many years. We first met over in Austria when he was uh, overseeing the ministry at the castle there and the Bible college there, and we've been good friends since. And he's, uh, uh, I just, I, I consider him a man of the word. He preaches the word. He understands what it means to preach the word. And when Tim preaches, I listen. I love to listen to him preach. And so I thought it would be a real treat to have Tim be a part of the panel. And Gino Geraci, been a friend for many, many, many years. And just officially stepped down from his position as senior pastor of Calvary Chapel South Denver and turned the church over to his son, Jonathan, who's taken over the pastorate there. And it's an exciting transition. And uh, my friend Ron Hint, pastor of Calvary Chapel Houston, Texas. He's from California, but he's pastoring in Texas, but we won't hold that against him. And uh, preaches the word. And uh, David Guzik, one of our speakers, has been a blessing. I've respected and loved David's preaching and teaching for many, many years. And uh, excited to have him be a part of the conference. David always preaches the word, and I, I, that's what gets me excited. So many years of ministry, pastoral ministry. And uh, what we're going to do right now is just start off the discussion with and I forgot my question book. It's in the green. It's in the green room. A little green. It's that little green book somewhere in the green room. Can we all give my wife a hand as she goes to get? <laughs> I don't know that I'm gonna need it, but I do remember the first question. Let's let's go back to definition of expository preaching. I know we've kind of already done that and hit that, but I'd like to hear from some of you guys again uh, if there's any facets to expositional preaching or any descriptive terms that you'd like to touch on again, and then any questions that you might have as to what it is in its essence and how it differs from other kinds of preaching. So, David, do you want to throw anything more in on top of that? Or? Well, if I could just bring it up, one thing that I think is helpful, sometimes it's best to uh, define things in the negative. So if it's not expository teaching or preaching, what is it? Tim, Tim what would you say? If it's not that, what, what is it? Dave, I, th I thought you were my friend. Oh, come on. <laughs> I thought give me a softball here. What is it not? Well, I thought you said it well about the read and ramble that a lot of times you hear um, preachers, and, uh, and it's, it's sort of wonderful, but as you've got your Bible open, um, there's no connection between what they're saying and the text. So what is that called? I'll, I'll use the phrase read and ramble. Their thoughts aren't really coming from the scripture. And, and you do. You find yourself kind of lost. You're listening and trying to connect what the preacher's saying with the, with the Bible open in front of you. And if it's just not connecting, it's something else. It's not expository preaching. Yeah, and sometimes the, the real core of whether or not a, a message is exposition, almost the, the seed of it, is really in the heart of the preacher. Because we know as preachers and Bible study teachers, sometimes it's like, oh man, I want to say these three things about prayer. Uh, let me go find a few verses to back it up. Or, man, I ran across this amazingly compelling, inspirational story. Let me find a verse to, to back it up. And, you know, it, because we're sprinkling some Bible in there, it, it may kind of have the, the illusion of being expository, but the message isn't coming forth from the Scriptures. It's coming forth someplace else. Yeah, let me jump in there real quick and... Maybe we'll move on to another topic. But when you mentioned the word, use the phrase read and ramble, 
uh, what I see happening a lot of times is the, uh, and, and let, let me speak to Calvary Chapel pastors specifically and, you know, pastors generally, is that we have adopted Chuck's, uh, his, uh, his running commentary style of preaching. And he was so gifted at doing that where he would teach through a chapter, a whole chapter. Uh, when I was sitting under Chuck's ministry in Costa Mesa, five chapters of the New Testament a night in one session. So he would just kind of read and then go through. But then he could he'd pick what he wants to talk about. That's not expositional preaching. It's exposition of the text, but it's not preaching. Preaching is mean that it's got sermonic form. It's got an introduction, got points, it's got conclusion. Chuck did that on Sunday morning. And what, 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 what I think uh, discourages me when they do what I call read and ramble, and we do too as well, is they read a verse and then they just say whatever comes in their thoughts or their head or what, if, if there's a word in the verse, say there's the word love, they just talk about love. But the verse isn't about love. It's got the word in there, but it's not what it's about in its context. And then they go to the next verse and it's got the word uh, saved and they talk about being saved. So those are like six sermons, these six verses, six different sermons. They're, they're, they're not, there's no unity. We talked about unity, there's no unity. And the points don't support the one point, one theme. So the idea of a buckshot or a bullet, the ideal sermon is a bullet, and the points support that one point. So that's, you know, what I think of as expository. But in its essence, it's pulling out of the text its primary meaning. So if you read a verse and you preach from a verse, but you don't really preach the historical, grammatical, theological context of that verse, then you've missed it. And it sounds pretty radical, but I, 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 I'm convinced it's true that if you don't do that, you're not really preaching the Word. You're using the Bible, preaching from the Bible, not preaching it. And there's a, big, there's a big difference. Okay, what about different kinds of sermons? This is a segue into different kinds of sermons. Can we talk about top, Irwin, Dr. Irwin? Let's mention topical sermons, and I think that they can be biblical, but what are some of the different kinds of sermons and some of the pros and cons of different kinds of sermons? Do you know you want to jump in there? Well, you know, when you talk about a topical sermon, when you've been preaching for 30 years and you've preached every single Christmas and Easter text twice... Um, but it is topical, but just because you're, you're dealing with the topic of the incarnation or the birth of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus, part of the challenge becomes, how do I talk about this topic in this public setting, which, you know, is really the times when most people are coming to church, <laughs> you know, our, our uh, Christmas and Easter friends. But I, again, I think that there's value in, in topical teaching, and I think that there's value practically, even when we talk about what Chuck Smith used to, to do. Um, most people don't take a Bible survey class, and so to have a broad survey of the books in the Bible to, to immerse yourself in the text and become familiar with the text, this, this is what was one of the great treats that we had. It was to, to care about the Bible, to read it, to study it, to, to participate in it. Because um, I know that there are people here, and they're thinking, I'm not an expository preacher. You know, I'm a, 
a ladies Bible study leader or a teacher. So I'll ask the guys up here, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? <laughs> Don't all speak at once. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously preaching, Kairuso means to declare out. And when we're preaching, you know, it's more of a declaration, whereas I look at teaching, and I, I think that many of these gentlemen would say the same, maybe a lot of you, that you more have a teaching gift. I would say that I have a teaching gift, not a preaching gift, but I seek to work harder at preaching because he does say preach the word, so I want to do that. But I look at teaching as being didactic. I mean, it's you're, you're going line on line. You're outlining. Whereas preaching is, you know, heralding it with boldness. It's also taking part of that text and letting it out. And I think that you, we're told to do both. We're actually told to do both. Um, anyway, that's, that's the distinction I see is preaching is proclaiming, heralding, Russo, whereas teaching is more line on line. And uh, if I could just add to that, I wanted to come back to the other point on the first one was just, I, I think that when we're teaching, it says in Nehemiah 8.8, 8, and that was referred, I think, to by several of you guys. Um, I, what I liked is it says they read from the book. So it's not just reading the scriptures, but it says this, they read distinctly from the book. So it doesn't mean you're reading from other things. I'm reading solely from the Bible. And then they gave the sense, so they explained what it means. And then they helped them to understand. So it's just reading the scriptures, explaining the, uh, the scriptures, and applying the scriptures. So to me, that's what teaching is. And preaching is something I, I work harder at doing because it doesn't come to me as naturally. Yeah, and I want to back up just a minute. When we talk about read and ramble, and I mentioned Chuck Smith's running commentary Sunday night through the Bible, he was not reading and rambling. He was setting the historical context. He was explaining the background. And he was explaining words, and he was setting the context. He, he was putting it all in context and then applying it. So he did a masterful job at doing that running commentary survey style uh, teaching and preaching. But a, a lot of it was Chuck's style, so conversational. Correct. That, you know, it really was solid, you know, development and, and examination of the text. Correct. But again, just kind of under the radar because it was just so warm and conversational. Right. And the benefit was you're hearing the Bible, you're learning the Bible, you're le learning Bible stories, you're growing, which, which is super valuable. So what are some of the trends in the, uh, the church today, kind of popular style preaching trends, let's take a curve on our Q&A, that concern you that you see in preaching? I mean, you can name it, names It's been mentioned who, I don't know, was it Dr. Lutzer mentioned or somebody else? But the... the uh, the increasing trend of more just kind of preaching as motivational speaking. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's really insufficient. And, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be in the place where we're boasting about how unmotivational our preaching is. <laughs> you know, yeah. Nobody's ever motivated after I preach. It's really holy. So it, it's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're 180 degrees from the idea of motivational, but simply to motivate and inspire people is really a fairly low goal. We're seeking discipleship and transforming them by the power of God's word. So that, that's one thing I see. 
Do you guys see it too? Yeah, I, well, I see it. one of the trends, I think we've all seen this for quite some time, and is that is that we have ministries around us that solely are topical, but they're series. So this guy's got a four-part series this week. He's got an eight-part series next week, and it's all in the series. And, of course, most of the time it's not expositional. It's putting it in. But that's a, we look at that as like a competition. You know, wow, look at how they're, they're relevant, and I'm not relevant, and that's not true. When we're teaching through the scriptures, we're completely, we believe the word of God is relevant. And when I'm going through a book, it's, I'm tying it in, uh, obviously I'm bringing in current things to that, and it's very relevant. And the truth is, those people, you've heard the compliments, and I think maybe John referred to the first night, we, it doesn't go to our head, but we're thankful for it that people come away and they say, wow, I've learned more here in three months or six months than I did, you know, my whole time, 10 years at this one church. And that's because we're sticking to the Word of God. And so I think one of the dangers of all preachers, not just Calvary people, but all of us would be, we see that and we go, wow, it tracks people and stuff like that. But I think most, at least what I see with young people, a trend with the young people that I've worked with over the years is this trend that want to be, make a difference, make a splash. Listen, just teach the word of God expositionally and you found your niche because not many people are doing it and it's more relevant to, than anything else. So I, I think I see that as a trend that's been a trend for a long time and it doesn't seem to be stopping. In fact, I see it continuing on and on. I think uh, I feel sorry for some of the younger pastors because if I was 20 years old right now and looking around the models and, and there's, there's quite a stage that is being built and, and sort of this aiming for a high impact, high production value and uh, packaging of everything. And I just don't know if I would ever think, oh, I, I don't know if I could ever do that. Um, I, I think it's, for me, um, a model that strips it down where the power's in the word, right? And so it's the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. Um, these models that sort of focus on other things, uh, I, I always think, I couldn't do that. I don't know if I could. It'd be like sometimes I'm asked to teach on subjects that are not Bible, like, you know, could you do a church history class or something? And I, I don't know about you guys, I get completely lost as a teacher without my Bible. That's all I really know how to do. And, uh, and yet, um, I'm looking at models where all kinds of other things are happening other than teaching the Word. And I'm thinking, uh, but that's not really where the power is and, and how well it's staged or packaged or like that. And so to me, like the, there's a lot of models now that I don't really relate to in that sense. Um, kind of a misfocus in my mind. Yeah, I want to make clear, too, you can do a topical series expositionally. You can do a topical series expositionally. I actually am preaching topical series a bit more right now than I ever have in my life. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back to a book of the Bible, but I mean, I, when I say topical series, I spent many weeks going through Romans 8, and I called it Blessed Assurance, and yet it's, you know, it, the topic is that we have assurance in Christ, you know, no condemnation, no separation. People learn the Romans 8, the message of Romans 8, set it in context, but it's a topical series. And then I did count your blessings, Ephesians 1, just looked at blessings from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it can be packaged that way quite well. So, but um, let me mention too, as we're, we're discussing things right now, you can come up to a mic anytime you want to interject a question. I'll call on you, you can ask. So 
So it's Q&A time has opened. You can come up to a mic right now and we'll rock and roll. But let me ask one more question before we take another question at the mic. And that is, what are some of the benefits uh, of expository preaching for the preacher, maybe first, and then for the congregation? I know, I know we've had the list yeah, in our... Dave I know, actually I know gave we've us, had a long list, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah Dave Gusick gave, what are, what gave are some us... I'll just say this, to me, it's so freeing as a preacher them. to be able to come to the text and be able to say, I don't have to make a message. The message is there right. in the text. Right, right. I, I just need to say it. see it and right. say it and discover it. Right. And, and explain. I mean, as Dr. Lutzer pointed out so well in the last thing, but it's not on my shoulders to have to create a message. And the cool thing is, is that you are blessed. Your soul is fed yes. while you're preparing your message. Yes. I've never really heavily separated my devotional time from my prep time. Because my time prepping for a sermon is feeding my soul. And sometimes if I'm not preparing sermons, I, I, I flounder. I need to be feeding on the Word. So it feeds the pastor. The pastor's being fed. And then when you get in the pulpit, it's an overflow of what you've received. You guys have any other thoughts? Yeah, of benefits the, one of the, the things I'm benefits thinking... Benefits to the preacher? Benefits to the preacher yeah, on well, the spouse preaching. You know, one, one of the benefits, I think, to the, the preacher, we sort of brought up the word power. And, and to me, the power of the Word of God to transform a life, to change a person from the inside out. One of the things that the benefits, I think, of expository preaching, again, you brought up, you avoid riding a hobby horse. You know, I get that people want to talk about prophecy. They want to talk about end-time prophecy. And one out of every three verses in the Bible is about prophecy. And if you are teaching the Bible, you should touch on the subject of prophecy. You're going to get around to it. But by teaching the text, you're forced to actually say what the text says. Now we're back to preaching. Teaching it, you're forced to say what it says. Preaching it, you're forced to do what it says. That's a good point. And I think that's that that's the, the difference the big difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is imparting information, I know more. Preaching is urging you, urging you in light of what you know, in light of what you know. Are you going to live different? Are you going to think different? Are you going to act different? It's one thing to understand the Greek meaning of the word metanoia, which means to change your mind, and it's another thing to actually change your mind. And you go, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to walk in a different direction. One of the heartbreaking things for me in Denver, Colorado, there's an epidemic of suicide across the United States. And tragically, leading the nation in teen suicide is Colorado. And not just leading teen suicide is Colorado, but the county that's just south of me is leading the state in, in teen suicide. Uh, suicide. Each and every one of you, I'll bet because of this tragedy, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do a little thing. How many of you either know or you personally are aware of and care about someone who's killed themselves in the last year? Raise your hand. Wow. Look around you. And so that this is what I'm talking about, about teaching and preaching. It isn't just about what the text says. Is It's, again, how do we give people hope in the sense of, 
are you saying something to them, not just about I'm going to stay alive for one more day, but I believe what the Bible says about my sinful condition, the, my access to forgiveness, the opportunity for me to live a different life. Remember, uh, Dr. Lutzer hit on it. He, remember, he said, Jesus said to Peter, are you going to leave me too? And he goes, where can I go? Where can I go? Only you have the words of life. Men and women, you have the words of life. That, th this Bible is the words of life. When you speak it, when you teach it, and then when you urge people to follow it. Sorry, I'm done teaching now. Okay, okay let's, let's take a question. Yes, okay, and then we'll get your question. Then like we'll come back to some other aspects. Pastor and congregation, yeah, there's sort of, it's infectious. So for me, like, the process of preparation gets me pretty excited. So I'm coming in pretty pumped up to share what I'm going to share. But as you're doing something sequential, like my, my people, they come pumped up too. They're, they can't, they're reading with me. They're looking ahead. They're wondering, what is he going to do, you know, with this text? So a lot of people are coming to church. You know, they're loving the word too, and they're studying with you, and they're just as excited about, you know, what's going to happen as I am. And I think it's the pastor sort of leads the body that way, right? It's very infectious when you get excited about what you're studying and teaching. Yeah, and of course what you're saying is in, in the context of systematic series, either a book or the Bible or a teaching. I've had people show up and go, I've, I saw your, I, I, I'm, I've read your text this week, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. And, and they, they say, Pastor, that, Pastor, you're in trouble today. They don't know that I've switched my text and I'm not going to preach on it, I'm just kidding. But if you're going systematically, that's one of the benefits. Okay, let's take a question. And there's other mics over here, too, if you want to jump up. Yeah, so this, this question is, um, it came from something that I heard from David Guzik, from you, uh, but in a video that I watched. Um, but it had to do with blending, and you mentioned it just a second ago, Pastor John, blending your devotional time with yes. your teaching preparation time. Yes. Um, or just blending the whole thing together into one. So I've really struggled to do that, and I feel like I'm just barely seeing some light in it, um, where my, I sense that my devotional time is spirit-led to some degree, and I'm not um, just, you know, 10 minutes before the sermon locking myself in a closet somewhere saying, Lord, now speak to my heart, because I've been speaking, you know, I've been thinking the whole time um, about what I'm going to say and what's, what's going to be presented. And so just some advice on how to move those things together more. Uh, especially in a preparation time when you know you have a sermon coming and you're thinking about that text and, yeah. There's a huge problem in only reading the Bible, thinking about what we will say to other people about it. Correct. And, and there are people that that's kind of how they prepare. They come to the text and they're really trying to, what am I going to say to other people about this Bible passage? Now, I got to know for myself... I, to me, the text speaks to me Correct. before it speaks to anybody else. Correct. So God has met me Correct. in the passage that I'm going to preach from. Correct. Uh, and then I believe he wants other people in, to enter into that, or at least dimensions of that. Uh, but it's, the, I think one of the reasons why some guys have made a big division, you've got your devotional reading over here, and you got your sermon prep over here, is because they, they're thinking of sermon prep as something you, you're only reading it for what you'll say about it. But there, there really can be a blending of the both if you'll really let this text 
wrestle with you first. Yeah, and I think David hit the nail right on the head, and I go back to the question. The question, based on some of the phrases that were used, I would say, when you're thinking about what you're going to say. You don't even, that, that isn't even a part of the equation. You, you marinate your mind and heart in the text, and you let God speak to you from the text. That, that is your sermon preparation. So you're getting fed, you're hearing God in the text. And then when you go into the pulpit, you share what God said to you, what God taught you, what you learned. You, you share your discovery in the pulpit. So it's not like, okay, my devotions are over here, God speaks to me, and now all I'm doing is grinding out sermons, I'm just a sermon machine. Now sometimes I, I do get busy, and any pastor would admit to that, there's busy, there's scheduled, there's interruptions, and you don't have the time. My wife will testify to this, there's many times when I'm like, man, I haven't had time to really hear God in this text, and I, I, so I don't like to get up and preach a text that hasn't spoken to my heart, that hasn't convicted me or comforted me, or challenged me, or fed me, because I want it to just be an overflow. So uh, it's, that, it's that discovering in God and His Word. So I don't, I don't know how you can divorce that from devotion time. That, what, what can be more devotional than hearing God speak in His Word? Uh, the teaching that my wife does do, she's always sharing with me that she loves the study and the preparation, but she's nervous about standing in front of people and teaching. So it's like the fun part is getting, hearing God in his word. The challenging part is getting up. But, but when your heart is full, when David mentioned preaching with boldness and stuff because he knew he was preaching God's word, I, I, I just so can identify with that. When you're proclaiming God's word and you have deep conviction that this is what God meant by what he said and it's spoken to your own heart, uh, that's, that's an awesome thing. When you're, when you're actually preaching with conviction, but... Uh, I'm just sharing my experience. I like what David said. I, in, in 40, 47 years of preaching now, my, my sermon prep is my devotion. It is my food. It feeds my soul. Yeah, one of our occupational hazards, right? We can't go to other churches on Sunday and <laughs> sit and listen. So I think part of your study is I got to figure out how to feed my soul. And um, so... You know, like for me, like reading books is a big part of it as I'm, I'm getting really ministered to right. by what I'm doing. Otherwise, I just got nothing. And you know, that's one of the challenges of being a pastor is that uh, you really have to learn how to feed yourself. Otherwise, when is that going to happen? You know, someone once said that your life can be separated into three different times. When people are feeding you, when you learn to feed yourself, and when you learn to feed others. And sometimes there's a chapter in your life where you must be fed. And then there's a new chapter where you learn to feed yourself. And then a new chapter where you get the privilege of feeding others. I, 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 I don't want to misunderstand what that guy just asked. He, he asked about advice. I, I, and I want to think about what he said about devotion. Because it's been my experience, unlike John, my experience is that my devotion really is... Clearly, sermon preparation is in part devotional, but in my life, it's never served as a substitute for personal devotion. And by that, I mean I have to read the Bible and I have to pray. And, and, and as I'm reading the Bible and praying, it isn't just about reading in Bible the, and praying about the text that I'm preparing for Sunday or Wednesday. It's me reading something else that has entirely nothing to do with the, what I'm teaching because it's been often ex my experience 
that I'm reading through the book of Genesis. You know, it's the beginning of the year, and like you, I, I read through the Bible. And as I'm reading through the Bible, and I've read these things hundreds and hundreds of times, I find myself that the Lord is speaking to me, and I, I get benefits in my sermon preparation. But for me, sermon preparation has never, ever served as a suitable substitute for personal devotion. Question. So as far as the mechanics of preaching, like on Sunday morning, if you're preaching from verses 1 through 10, and so we were talking about outline and teaching, so if I go verse by verse to explain it, am I not staying in the outline? Should I stop doing this verse by verse explanation because I want to make sure that they're getting it or understanding the whole thing? Do I just go for the outline part, or and you know, does that make sense? What I'm saying. Can I can I answer that? I, I think what is helpful. Obviously, you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're reading and rambling because you're doing that. It doesn't necessarily mean you could be expositing when you're going verse by verse. But can I suggest what I think is very good with outlining? Number one, it's again we're here to help the people. It helps the people to see progress. Progress hooks to hang. I think of it as hooks to hang your thoughts on. So I'm, I've got a hook, I, and, I, and I'm also able to track with the preacher. This is the first point I'm bringing out. I'm, I'm following that. And so maybe within those 10 verses, you have two points. Maybe there are four points. But I think it is so very helpful. Plus, there are sub-points, as Pastor John brought out, that are biblical, that stick with your theme, that do come out. And, and that might not be something you've done before. It might not come naturally to you. So I think that's just something to pray about doing because it's just a real tool to help your people. You know, it's like if you were, uh, if we were taking an airline uh, example, as John did, we're taking off, you know, sometimes when you're on a flight, hey, by the way, we're now over El Paso right now. If you want to look at the window, El Paso, come on, we're, we're over here. And it lets them know that there's progress, that, and it also shows content within the text. It shows them that these aren't independent verses, but that they all tie in. So I just think that would just be helpful to, to work on. I think Wearsby also did an outline of the entire Bible, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he, has, has one. he has Old Testament and New and Testament, Testament outlines. Yeah. So if you haven't done that before, it's good to look at something, someone else, what they do. John Phillips is another great guy. I, yeah, I'm John an alliteration guy and an outline guy. That's, that's the first thing that comes to me outside of the theme, and I go to that. And I think John Phillips just reading his works would be helpful in that as well. It, it can flow together pretty easily, doing exactly what Ron just spoke of there. Here's your 10 verses. Um, okay, now here's, here's where Paul begins with these 10 verses. This is his thought throughout. You can give a, a very kind of economical explanation of that, this and that, and then say, and, and in these 10 verses, we see three challenges. You know, just like Dr. Lutzer talked to us about. And, and here's the first challenge. It's in verse 2. Here's the second one, it's in verse 6, and now the final one's in verse 10. And, and so you just walk it through that way. But there, there's nothing wrong with giving like, okay, here's, here's kind of the survey mm -hmm. of, of where the whole thing goes. Now let's look for these three things that are going to speak to us very powerfully from the text. Yeah, the uh, outline, outline commentary, uh, one new, one Old Testament by Worsby is really great at that. And then um, if you, I wanted to mention earlier too, I forgot, if you can get a chance to go on our website, revival.tv, and listen to Dr. Lutzer's sermon from Sunday morning, you'll have a model of great preaching. It's great, great, great model. Go back and listen to his message, The Power of a Praying Parent. He, he said your sermon the week before was pretty good too, John. <laughs> yeah, you can go and listen to he mine. He said that. 
He did, he did say that. He watched, did you, did you he hear watched him say that John's too? sermon but from the week before. No, yeah. Lutzer watched your sermon from the week before. Has because ever watched a sermon Lutzer's of yours thinking, yeah. I don't want to say anything that is... <laughs> Actually, when I met him at the hotel, he said, ah, great sermon. I started to laugh. I thought he was just kidding me or something. But no, he wasn't kidding. Anyway, he actually he watched, watched the revival last week. So, Okay, another question. Yeah, I wanted to ask David this. As an expository pastor who goes verse by verse, when do you believe it is a healthy time to do topical studies? Well, um, th there is an element of the answer to your question. It's just really being led by the Holy Spirit as a leader of that Bible study or the pastor of the congregation. Many times in between books, it's a great time to say, let's take three or four weeks to take a look at something like this. And sometimes I've known guys who in the midst of a long book, they'll take a break or two in yes. the midst of it. Yeah. But really, th there's no absolute right or wrong, but between books or in the midst of long books are great opportunities to do and, and a topical series. He's exactly right, but sometimes there are also external circumstances. Like 20 years ago, when you have a Columbine shooting in, in our neighborhood or, or, or a flood that you had in Houston, sometimes natural events or supernatural events, you have to stop what you're doing you, and you have to say, you know what, we have to just pause here and we have to talk about what's going on in our community, in our life, in our circumstances. But, and I agree with Gina, but whenever I do that, whatever I, how I do it is still an exposition of the scripture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I find a scripture that, that addresses that issue. So uh, you would break a series to do that. Tim, you wanted to say that? And we, uh, like, there's certain ones almost every year I'll do. We have a church birthday that we celebrate every year, and I, I'm always asking the Lord for a sense of direction for our church. Um, I love to preach on Mother's Day and Father's Day yeah, because invariably there's a whole bunch of family there and you just want to minister to that. Um, and then I do, like occasionally the Lord just gives you something, and it is usually coming out of what's happening in your community. But even if you're doing a topical sermon, I believe you know, there's so much we could say, like say I'm going to teach through Galatians, and I start with verse 1, chapter 1, and maybe I cover the first three verses. That sermon, that message, and, and then next week I pick it up in verse 4, and I go to verse 6, and then verse 7, each one of those messages has one topic. That's a topical sermon. And I have points to support that one topic. That's, that's, that to me, that's, that's, that's expositional preaching at its finest. To preach through a book of the Bible, but if you visited my church one Sunday out of the year and I was preaching through Romans, that, there, that, would be a, there would be, that would be a message with a topic. It wouldn't just be more of Romans or rehearsing what I taught last week or let's open our Bibles to Romans and I just pick up where so, I left off. So, John, would message. you say it's a standalone sermon it's a stand in the sense alone sermon. That, that, yes, and that's the point. That's the point. So, but you can break away to topics anytime you want. But a funny uh, statement by Dr. Uh, uh, Walter Kaiser, the great Old Testament uh, a scholar, he said to pastors, preach a topical sermon only once a year and then immediately repent and ask God to forgive you. So let's have another question. So I asked one of my teachers this uh, as well, just over lunch, and um, I'm going to ask it again just because I want, not because he didn't give me a great answer, because he did. <laughs> but <laughs> Are you trying to get us to contradict your teacher? <laughs> no, I'm not at all. I'm not. I just want something, I want more of an answer just from any of you guys, just so something will click as far as it goes. Um, but... 
when I'm looking at um, expositional teaching, which I didn't grow up in Calvary, so until I came to CBI, I had no idea what it was. And so now I'm starting to, I'm going to be starting to teach it here coming up soon. And I'm, I'm struggling with the separating the uh, original context and intent for um, the person that was, or the letter that was written for the people there and connecting it with um, your application at the end. Like, I feel like there's like a, like a wall when I'm thinking about it because I like to write everything out too. And so I have this big jumble of stuff and I'm going, well, how do I put this and, and, and say all this without going, okay, that was the context for the original here. Now here's this. Like, how do I go, how do I combine the two to where it's fluent and not like a division in my message? So. This is a John Stott classic. <laughs> uh, the between two worlds, the illustration he uses is a bridge. So, like, your, you know, your goal is to do the work to understand what was happening in that church in Corinth in the first century. But if you do a good job of that recreation in your study, then your job, you're going to build this bridge into the application to the 21st century. And um, I'll confess, I find that the hardest part myself. In fact, uh, Dr. Lucer talked about his wife's voice sounds a lot like God's mind. Somehow mine does too. My wife's always saying, you know, more application. We need more application, because I naturally gravitate mm -hmm. towards interpretation. Um, and so I found a lot of help in reading these stop books, a contemporary Christian, and then the Between Two Worlds, where uh, you build this bridge when you, when you make it applicable to, to today. And um, I need help from the other guys on how can to build I, the bridge. I, I, well, that's lot, what we're supposed to do. Of, go ahead, Ron. Yeah, I, one of the things is uh, inductive Bible study, which maybe you've not done. It's very simple. Many of us have probably done that, where you, you know, you're, you're observing, you're interpreting, you're applying. But listen, you, if you really were doing inductive Bible study, you would do that on every single verse. And it would train you to look at the application. There, it, it may not be in every verse, so you got to work on the application because what it is, he's, he brings up Corinthians. Uh, they were carnal. They're idol worship. We have carnality in our church today. We have idol worship. Uh, Ephesians. They have, I'm, you know, if you're Jesus, I'm going to talk tomorrow night on the, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tempted. We're tempted. Almost, every passage, all you got to do is stop. And I like what Pastor John said, when you're marinating yourself in the passage, and if you know that's an area you're having a hard time with, because it is like, Lord, help me in my way. I have weakness too. Mine's an illustration. And, you know, so we all have our weaknesses. You know what your weakness is, and Lord, help me in that area. Help me to see it. So you want to say, Lord, constantly praying, I'm in this passage. Help me to tie it in. Help me to see the application here. Show me. And, and as you just, once you start getting, it'll click. The Holy Spirit's going to help. He's going to click and go, oh, I see. This is, hey, we have that now. And, and listen, you know, as Solomon said, nothing's new under the sun. So everything these people have dealt with, we've all dealt with. Yeah, which is a good point. I mean, so much of the New Testament is written to church in trouble. And, you know, most, I mean, we talk about, let's get back to the early church. Which one do you want to go back to, the carnal Corinthians or which one? So even in Acts, the church had a lot of problems. Since we have the same problem, they still have false teachers. We still have pride, love of money, lust, greed. They're all, all the problems dealt with by Paul are in the Bible are still pertinent today. Um, but I'll give you a little practical tip that I do, and it may not be the most deeply spiritual or wonderful, but uh, I, I, I'm a commentary guy, as I admitted in my session. And uh, after studying the text and using exegetical commentaries, 
uh, if I'm kind of uh, like, what, how, how am I going to apply this or illustrate it? I will read homiletical commentaries. I'll read, I'll read devotional commentaries. I'll read very light devotional commentaries that I want to see how did they apply it? How did they put it in shoe leather? And if God uses that, speaks to my own heart, like, wow, that's brilliant, that's great, then I'll use it. I don't know, I mean, even Spurgeon talked about using what he learned from others. He was, you know, busted preaching somebody else's sermon time when he, he didn't even know it. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really try to hide the fact that I draw from many different sources and people, and I, I would be somewhat lost if I didn't have a good devotional commentary or a homiletical commentary to get the juices flowing, to kind of get my mind. Sometimes I won't say exactly what they said, but it'll, it'll spark a thought in a different direction. So I, I use them as tools to kind of provoke thought and get the juices flowing. So if I were answering that question just a second ago, I, I would say how to connect it to life. How did Spurgeon do it? How, did, how does you know, uh, James Boyce do it? How does Charles Swindoll do it? Swindoll's coming up with a great set of commentaries right now that has, at the end of each little section, practical application and thoughts of devotion that are just wonderful. And uh, uh, why, let it go to, why let it go to waste? Maybe I would add this, though, too. I think, you know, when you're first working through it, and even as you're first teaching and reading through it, people are thinking, what does this mean? Like, what is this about? And then as you unpack it, right, usually uh, if you make the word come alive and they start seeing, oh, this is what it means, uh, you know, the Bible's like a mirror, right? So suddenly people start seeing themselves in that mirror really fast when they understand what it, you know, means. And so we're there in Corinth, but then all of a sudden, oh, ooh, that looks a lot like our church. Uh, and so it, application does start to pop when people understand it. Ray Steadman used to call it not first Corinthians, first Californians. <laughs> Let's take another question. Over here. So as you're going to prepare your sermon, um, we've heard a lot about how you have all these tools in front of you that you use to bring it all together. So my question is for any of you gentlemen, when you're preparing your sermon, you've got all these tools, all these different things you use to bring it together. At what point did the Holy Spirit intervene with the tools that you're using to bring this sermon? And what a great question. At what point did the Holy Spirit enter in? What a great question because I have to believe that the Holy Spirit enters in the moment that you begin the process. It's, the, it, it's, it's as you pray and you're going, Lord, help me. You know, it's, you know, we get into the routine because we've preached literally thousands of sermons. And when you're preaching three times a week, every week, and, and you go, what is the, is, is the whole, is, is it Holy Spirit inspired? Are the tools Holy Spirit inspired? Is the process inspired? Are your notes inspired? There was a very, a, a, a man who confronted John Wesley and he said, God doesn't need your book learning. And Wesley said, God doesn't need your ignorance either. <laughs> now, now again, part of part of the challenge is, yeah, we could, we actually could substitute the preparation for the Holy Spirit. But the great, I think, part of the answer, don't you think, David, has to be that the Holy Spirit enters, continues, 
in the process, and we should even be open to change where, where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, you're going in a, a wrong way. No, no, that's the wrong way to think about this. That's the wrong way to apply it. Sometimes it happens when you're, we're in the pulpit and we've prepared and we've prepared and then the Holy Spirit goes, nope. Is that? And, and so I think that that's part of the answer. It's, it's one of the reasons why I believe very strongly that it's important for you to spend time with the text, going through it carefully, outlining it, analyzing it, just you and the Bible before you go to commentaries. Yeah. And to me, often, the bulk of my message is done there. Now, I do think it is very important to go to commentaries and to other teachers and, and this and that. So, I mean, obviously, I'm not against that. But for me, there's a normal order. Not that there might be some, you know, sometimes Super. you're cracking open something from the minor prophets and you're like, I don't get this at all. So you'd get into the commentary a little earlier than you would normally do. But normally, I, I'm doing more than half my development, just me and my Bible, then I'm going over to the commentators. Yeah, I would, uh, this might be a strange answer, but it's sort of when I stop studying. And by that, I mean like, there's always this fear you're not going to have enough material. I need to study more. But you flood yourself. Like I, I kind of got the picture of like a flooded desk of all these things. But then you just have to kind of stop because uh, then you, you go back to the Lord. You know, what's the message here? And um, there was a famous preacher who said these commentaries aren't expounding. They're confounding. You know, like at some point it's good to stop and like, Lord, what is the message? What's, what's, what's burning in my heart? Where can I focus this? And um, I think when I was younger, I overstudied. I, I remember I had too Chuck, much, too much stuff. I remember hearing Chuck Smith once say that he sensed God's spirit helping him put his notes together. That even preaching from his notes, that he felt like God helped him put his notes. That the thoughts came to him when he did his notes. And I experience that quite a bit on Saturday night. Sometimes I'm agonizing, and sometimes it'll just start to flow, and I'm putting my thoughts down, and I can just sense God's presence you know, helping me prep my notes. And that, that's an exciting experience. The Spirit comes to visit you right then. Even in, even in the note preparation, I'm, I'm wiggling my hand because I write them out. I think that's I what I'm trying to say. It's, like, it's sort of when I stop gathering information yeah. and, and just stop and pray, so Lord, where, do, where are we going to go? What's, what's burning in the yeah. heart? What's the message? That's good. Let, let me say something I think is really important. Um, it was important for me to, to learn this. That for many of us, the best thing we could do in our teaching and preaching is stop trying to cram every good thing we learn from the text yeah. into a sermon. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to be content and, and at peace with saying, there's some great stuff in this text that I'm not even going to talk about. And, and, and it kind of kills you a little bit. Oh, but this is so great. No, you're, you're muddying up the other good things, the main thing that God wants you to say, because you just feel like, and sometimes it's pride. <laughs> I want everybody to see how smart I am by all the amazing things I saw in the text. <laughs> you you got to be willing to leave some gold on the ground. Don't worry, God will let you use it later. It's not lost. 
but just free yourself from feeling that you have to say every good thing you learn from the text. Yeah, I've heard it described. Someone says, I want a glass of water, and you bring out a fire hose. Yeah, yeah that's a real good point, and boy, is that hard. It is hard. Yeah, that's really hard. I got a question over here. Yeah, I'd love to hear you guys discuss the balance of um, transparency from the pulpit versus just teaching the text. You know, I've seen a lot of examples where uh, transparency about your own life is really powerful. And then sometimes, though, I've, if you're going, as pastors, we're going through something personally, it some, sometimes can hijack the text. You know, someone's given this a hard time in church, and we're teaching about Sanballat and Tobiah, and all of a sudden, you know, our insecurities are coming out, and we're kind of applying it to all our own circumstances, and we don't even know it. So what's sort of the balance of being uh, humble, transparent with your life, and then just knowing what to hold on to and, and what not to say? Huh. It's a really... We are all laughing he, up here because he, he that's, know, yeah, that is a really, really great it's, question. It's a great that's, question. That's I'm just going to cover a little bit because really I know... That's a great question. Yeah. I, know I don't, I don't yeah. know that any, right. all we can do is agree, yeah. yes, there needs to be yeah. a balance. <laughs> can I be transparent right and now? Not everybody, not everybody does it right. I just want to be it's authentic. It's called self-exposure. It's called indecent exposure. I'm going to be so transparent, you won't even be able to see me. <laughs> I think that there's a, obviously, you're at your question, I'm not trying to be vague in it, there is a balance, because there is... A point, first of all, where I've seen that there's no transparency, you're not real, you're just a preaching machine, and that's, that's not real. People need to know that we go through struggles and that we're real and, you know, we blow it. At the same time, and I do see, speaking of something of trend early, I do see somewhat of a trend with um, a younger generation saying, man, it's all about transparency. And that's a, But the problem is then that supersedes the text, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. That's important. It's important. Uh, the Bible is real about all the guys. I mean, Moses uh, murdered a guy. Uh, in the in most a, transparent way. In a most, so transparent. <laughs> he just didn't, he didn't bury him well enough. You know, that's the problem. Um, so I think that we want to balance. So I think the Holy Spirit has to lead you uh, and direct you. Can I add this with, with something that we haven't said, but it's true of all of our churches and everything we've also said. You have to know your congregation Yeah. and all of that. Like if you're doing a series, how, you know, how long am I going to do a series? How long am I going to go through a book? You know, how long should the, I go through a book? Should I go longer? Where's your, where's your body at? Sometimes it's at a younger place and you're not going to teach maybe the book of Romans right away. It might not be, or the book of Hebrews. It's not the first book you start when you start a church. So you have to know your body. And I think it would be the same thing in transparency. I, I think that's over a period of time when you develop a relationship, though you're real all the time with them. And uh, I think some of the best stories, I think that's what makes it real, you know? So I, you know what I think about John is uh, Spurgeon's tabern uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle, how, how he struggles with depression and, mm -hmm. and, and melancholy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to be out of turn, so I won't talk for these other guys, but each, each person up here has experienced at some time in their life a personal tragedy, whether it's an illness or uh, your loved one or your wife. Um, Ron, you know, uh, w when we think about personal tragedies that happen in our life, and everybody's aware that this tragedy has happened, and we can't pretend like it didn't happen, but, yeah, so where is the balance? How can we acknowledge 
what's going on in our life, but at the same time not allow it to distract from the Lord and, and what I would call worship and discipleship and evangelism. I wish I had a, a really good answer and I could say, oh, this is the balance. But I think it, it, it's event-driven where we have to ask and answer that question. I, I actually don't know what it is, but I do know that we can't, when bad things happen, we can't pretend like they didn't happen. Yeah, maybe I could add a couple things. I, I think sharing personal testimony is very powerful. And it's interesting that Paul shared his personal testimony three times in the sure. book Acts. So that's, and a lot of great preachers, Greg Laurie brings up his personal testimony at his crusades all the time. So it's, that's personal testimony is powerful. Uh, something that I learned uh, from my mentor pastor was when things happen in the church, uh, like my father passed away this fall, uh, I was sort of trained when something heavy happens, go ahead right in the middle of the service and tell the people what happened. And then that prayer in the middle, go ahead and pray into that, whatever it was, and then go ahead and open the word and teach like you do and let God speak to the, to the church. And um, that's really served me well over my pastorate is that uh, something's going down and everybody needs to know. Go ahead and talk about it. Uh, I don't always put that in my message. A lot of times it's right before I'm going to preach. And that may seem sort of like, wow, you're going to lay this heavy thing on them right before you preach, but then you pray about it. Open the Bible, and then and for me, so, so often God's very faithful. You're in a passage where you need to be. Uh, can I tell a quick story? Sure. Pastor friend of mine had um, emergency quadruple bypass surgery this year, and so he asked me to come speak at his church. And he was in Thessalonians. I think it was Second Thessalonians. Um, oh no, First Thessalonians chapter three. And so um, I came to speak at his church the day before his surgery. And he was there, so we prayed for him. And the church gathered around him. Then we opened up to First Thessalonians chapter three. I started studying it. And the final message turned out, the title was, uh, Things That Concern a Pastor When He Can't Be With Them. So Paul was basically saying, I wish I could be with you and uh, walk you through this, but I can't be with you, but here's the things. And that it was just the, the perfect text um, for that message. And I thought, well, Lord, that's thank you. Thank you. I didn't have to struggle over what to preach that day. Yeah, so uh, just real quick, we spent quite a bit of time on that, but... It you know, whenever you share your own struggles or your own faults or your own weaknesses, self-disclosure, uh, some of the homiletic books I mentioned today deal with that question. And they're not coming to my mind. But what is coming to my mind, you don't want to share anything out of your own personal life that would not glorify God and edify God's people. Anything that would distract from the message. So, but, uh, you know, if, if they, they know that you, there's, there's areas where you have weaknesses and deal with those struggle as well, but you have to be very tactful and careful uh, that you're not, you know, dishonoring God or his word or anything like that. And then is it really going to benefit the congregation? But uh, perhaps if you look up some, some of those books that I recommended, I'm trying to recall, deal with stuff like that. John, let, let me just add this quickly that, you know, Paul said, we preach not ourselves, yeah. but Jesus Christ. And he said, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. Right. Now, the same Paul that said we preach not ourselves shared his personal testimony, talks about his life in his letters. So Glorify it's not God. like we understand. That's not a prohibition, but there was a way in which Paul did it where still Jesus Christ was at the center, right. not Paul. 
And right. so we, we just need to do it in a way that doesn't put ourselves at the center, uh, but, but shows that God's work in us is real, but really the, the exalted thing is God's work in us. Okay, I'm going to ask another question. The next question is, what, if, what, what, what books on expository preaching have you found to be helpful and blessing? I had Robinson, and you already referred to it. That is such a great book. Uh, and then I'm thinking, what is the... He wrote another book, though, where he interviewed... He gave, he gave expository messages to his, sir, his uh, students. Do you remember the title of that one? Say that again. Uh, Hadn't, he, he put out a book. What did he, it's, I think it's... I think it's preachers. Okay, so he was at a seminary. He sent out his, uh, he asked all of his former seminaries that had been there at least 10 years, had graduated from seminary and gone into ministry. He had them submit one of their sermons. And then he has the sermon in the book, and then he, he actually goes over the message, and he breaks it down, how well they're doing. He asked Stephen for not, Alford? Huh? You talking about Stephen Olford? No, no, this is this is Haddon Robinson did it. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, that, I can't just for the life of me. I just thought it'd be good for the group Excellent. to hear what books on preaching, if any, have you read that have blessed you? For me, the first book I ever read, we read it between two worlds, Stott's book, and uh -huh. it was so so good. Um, I really like Wearsby's book on preaching, and also on he's got another one called Preaching with Imagination which I found, which is really, really good because, again, you know, you, 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 you want to do not just the rote, not, you know, again, it's, it's, it's fresh and helpful. What about, do you have any books, David? That uh, Preaching and Preachers by Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd That's yeah. fantastic. Right. I really enjoy that. That's book. the book, by the way, that has that chapter, Primacy of Preaching. Everyone should read that. You should get the book just to read that chapter. Yeah, I think uh, trying to read books that are the things that are hard for you, right? So I again, I love the my hermeneutics books, and I love the I love what you're going to present here in a little bit, uh, the science of interpretation. But so uh, Wearsby's preaching and teaching with imagination. Yeah. That was a good book for me. It was completely outside of my thinking yes. to be more creative. And the thing that's so interesting about it is that you wouldn't expect Warren Wearsby to write that book, right? To be more thinking outside of the box and how to communicate things. So that book for me, you know, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, boy, this is really beyond my, uh, this is challenging me. And I think that's part of the, the trick with reading is read the stuff that isn't easy for you or isn't. Uh, right up your, your bailiwick, you know, read something that's going to challenge you to grow. Question. So um, when it comes to expository teaching, and um, I, th I think topical teaching can be important when, it's, when we're talking about doctrine, because I feel like there are so many different scriptures in the Bible that speak of a, a single doctrine like the deity of Christ. So when it comes to that, how do you um, expositionally teach that? Can you use multiple verses um, while you're using that, and still expository, um, I, don't, I don't know how you say it, um, ex, um, teach, it ex, teach it in an expository uh, manner, as you're using, you know, like John 1.1, 1, 1, or, you know, a verse from Romans, or a verse from Titus, you know, can you still, can you still take multiple verses and teach that doctrine expositionally? Yeah, yeah, let me just, real quick, um, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I really mentioned it that much, I mentioned the need for doctrinal preaching, one of the things that really gets me pumped up and excited is doctrinal preaching. 
Um, but uh, to answer your question, let's take John 1.1. You can preach a whole sermon on, on the deity of Christ there. You know, you have, uh, in the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God, or God was the Word. So you have the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word. You have the personal Word. You know, and the Word was with God. And you have the divine Word, and God was the Word. So, but, but what, what I would do with that is I would teach John 1.1. 1, 1, I would teach first Colossians chapter 1, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, other, other verses that deal with the deity of Christ. But when you're, when you're doing a, a single passage and you're preaching it, you can bring other verses in as cross-references. But you want to be careful that you don't start preaching those. Preaching you, just, you don't preach from the cross-reference. You just use those to enforce your text. And I don't think that's really been talked about or addressed. So if I'm preaching from John 1, and I want to quote from Hebrews or other verses, I would just bring them in. But if you start expounding those other verses, then you just skip to another text. So use those to support or shed light on your verse. And, you know, and it, 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 there's a lot of challenges in preaching, and one of them to me is, you know, not, not bringing too many cross-references. As David talked about, not bringing everything you know to bear on a text. That's often a struggle for me. Another one for me is not bringing too many other cross-references. And sometimes you just kind of shoot them like a machine gun, you know, and just a couple choice ones for people to get to support that. So, but you can teach doctrine expositionally from a text. And that's why I said earlier to read systematic theology so that you can bring it into your sermons, systematize and bring cross-reference and be able to be, uh, you know, taught on, the, on those subjects. Hey, John, John, can I just add on that? Sure. Um, I think one thing I do, uh, we were just talking here, one danger is putting in too many cross-references. I did that at one time. What I found is, you know, I think early on, you know, 30-something years ago, I put, there's six cross-references, and John 1, 1 says this, and Colossians 1, 23, and, just, and they're like, uh, they don't get it. So I learned to taper that down. But another thing to do is, especially if you're, exegeting a smaller section of scripture, they might feel that there's little movement and you can kind of lose it. So what I'll do is sometimes on the cross reference, I'll have them turn there. So like if I was talking, you know, uh, you know, in Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4, I preach the word, 2 Timothy 2, 4, uh, 4, 2, on preach the word, I might use Nehemiah 8, 8 as an example. We might turn to Nehemiah 8, 8, see that, just took that a little bit, but it kind of gives them a place to go for a while, make sure they're alive, they're turning there. It's, a cr it's really a cross-reference illustration, and then come back to the text. And that's, that's fine. I, I mean, like we, we don't all preach the same and whatnot. I, I, my preference is to stay in my text and to pull, even if I'm going to do a Bible story, I like to just tell it. If I'm going to do a cross-references, I like to just give it. I don't like to turn there too much. Turn there, turn there, turn there. I do occasionally, I do it, but I do it real rarely because I like to just quote it to enforce my text. Everything stays in the text. And I like tension in the sermon. Keep bringing, keep bringing the people back to the text and immersing in the text. And instead of, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here, let's go there. I like to stay in the text. But again, there's diff different, different ways you can approach that. David's wife wants to ask him, can we please leave? No. <laughs> yeah, we got to get on the road here. No, <laughs> no, and I might ask the hardest question of the hour. Okay. Um, maybe because it, it's maybe hard because you might have forgotten about this, but 
I see there's a lot of younger pastors in this room and teachers, and um, where you might have forgotten those first five to ten years where either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning you were just beaten up yes. by either the world, the flesh, or the devil. And how do you deal with that? How, what would you advise um, young men or young teachers? You know, what do you do? Because it could be real spiritual warfare, but it could just be the enemy that um, could be a comment that somebody gave you as you were walking out or didn't give you. Um, it could be somebody who um, wants to come up and commentate on what you said, and we all have heard those. So what advice would you give that would truly help a young pastor, young teacher, Bible study leader, to get over that? Wow. Excellent, Angelo. Wow, because I, I, I wish it went away after five years, <laughs> or 10 years, or 15 <laughs> years, or 20 years. And you know, you talk about getting over it. Um, in, in many ways, you don't get over it. In many ways, it's like the sad story of the guy who comes up after the sermon and says, how do you know that Jonah was really swallowed by a sea creature? Well, the Bible says so. What if the Bible's wrong? Well, when you get to heaven, you can ask Jonah. What if he's not there? Then you can ask him. No, I'm just teasing. It doesn't mean people disagree with you, go to hell. But, but part, of, part of the challenge is to be confident in your philosophy of ministry and what the Bible really says. But it's also in humility to know that you can be really wrong. And so it really is hard to just sit there and think, did I, did I get this wrong? Did I, did I actually misrepresent the text? Did I say something that, that needs to be amended or changed? Do I, do I need to change? Um, but yeah, it's a process, and it, it does take time to, uh, to learn to let the water flow off your back. Yeah, uh, what was it Spurgeon said? If you're going to be in ministry, uh, one blind eye, one deaf ear. <laughs> um, and being in ministry for many years, I, <clears throat> I, I think he had phrased it a little bit different, but I, I put it this way. You have to have the height of a rhinoceros and still maintain the heart of a lamb. And it is a challenge. And... It is hard at first, and um, but we, so uh, quoting Wearsby, it's always too soon to quit. So if you're young in the ministry, don't give it. The best thing you can do is hang in there. Don't stop because it, you'll, you'll get, the Holy Spirit's going to equip you to better handle all of the criticisms and stuff. And I think it was um, uh, Chuck Swindoll, I was reading one of his commentaries a while ago. He says, you know, when people give criticisms, they never necessarily hit the mark, but they never... Uh, they never miss the board. You know, there's a little bit of truth in that, and we want to take it in the best way. You know, you think of the guy that always criticized Spurgeon in his messages, and then once he passed away, man, I miss those, you know, because it, it, it keeps you humble. So it keeps us humble. It keeps us on our knees. I've, you know, I still have things said about me and to me, and so you just thank you very much, and I'll pray about that. And if I've offended you, I'm really sorry, trying to be transparent. And, uh, and you know, we just we go on, and we don't stop. We don't just keep pushing on, and God will equip us and give us wisdom as we move along the way. But that, that was a, that's the best question so far. 
I thought so. <laughs> your, um, your first 50 to 100 Bible studies or sermons are going to stink. <laughs> they just will. They're just not going to be very good. They're, they're not going to be as good as that's, what that's you That's a little harsh, later. Dave. <laughs> not, that's a little... Well, I'm going to speak from personal experience. <laughs> so what, what I said so is get them out of the way. 50 to 100 is like two years worth of... Get, get them out of the way. Yeah, work hard at it. Do, do the work. Get, and the, the gift of teaching or preaching is a true spiritual gift, mm-hmm. but it's a gift given in seed form. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to develop. So keep with it. Keep working. Keep preaching. You're, if you keep with it, if you remember that phrase that Paul used, if you give yourself entirely to them mm-hmm. and let your progress be evident to all, mm-hmm. you're going to be a much better preacher in coming years. So keep with it. And, and don't get waylaid about criticism for what you didn't say in your sermon. People love to do that. Well, Pastor, you said three good things, but you know, you didn't say this. Look, look, I can't say every good thing in the message. And occasionally something like that is, is on the mark, but usually, I don't know, people just think you should have said something and you didn't, but whatever. Uh, I do a dangerous thing. Uh, sometimes I listen to my own messages. Ooh. Uh, but here's how it works. <laughs> There's a lot of times I'll feel like I just didn't communicate the message that I had, and uh, that just kills me. And so I will listen, and uh, usually this turns off for good. I realize, actually, I did. I did communicate the message, and um, that, that bottom line for me helps me through a lot of trials. I, I did deliver the message that God gave me, and then after that, I'm not going to worry too much. And then I also have, I call Monday morning prayers, which go along with that idea of the seed. That, so I scattered the seed. So I did do it. And now I'm just going to pray, uh, Lord, the soils, you know, keep that bird away. And don't let it spring up too quick. Let it get a root. And don't let the thorns choke it out. And then, Lord, bless it. Multiply it 30, 60, 100 fold. And I find myself praying that Monday morning prayer a lot. And then I just leave it. Got to leave it and move on. Monday morning prayer. I hate to keep sending you to books, but as you get the lectures to my students by Charles Spurgeon, and for that question, I would read the chapter called The Minister's Fainting Fits. It's called The Minister's Fainting Fits. Thoroughly worn out, underlined, scribbled in my book. It's been read a thousand times, so uh, it's a great, great resource. Who's next? So as a younger man in his early 30s, I've got a lot of friends who have been either hurt by or turned away from the church who refuse to uh, listen to your traditional preacher that they grew up with. Is it helpful or harmful to share or support the younger preachers like the Elevations or the Hillsongs to them? You guys hear that? No, tell me again, is it, is it helpful or harmful to support who or what? Younger, younger believers that don't relate or receive from traditional preaching, but they're listening to Hillsong or Elevation or a different kind of preaching that does speak to them. Yes. Is it harmful or helpful? 
Well, the preachers from the church, yes, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, because some of them are not teaching the truth. So is it harmful? Yeah, I, it's, I'm not saying that because they're younger. I'd say that about if a guy was, you know, 60 years old and he's not teaching truth. I, that's what I would say. It's not because he's younger. And I think sometimes they, I don't know why they're attracted, maybe because they're younger, attracted to younger, or they look hip, they look cool, whatever, but it's still not truth. But if they're watching it, why don't you watch it and engage with them what is true and what's, what you're concerned about their message. A lot of what, because a lot of what the false teachers t say is true. So we can agree on this. But one of the things I'm concerned about is this. Have you thought about this? Have you listened to this, this guy? And maybe uh, we can recommend some, you know, younger teachers that are, you know, really good expositors in the word of God. Um, but to me, what, to me, it has nothing to do with age whether they're false, you know, they're wrong, whether young or old, and it has nothing to do with age if it's good teaching. I mean, who ministered to me? Here I was, I had hair down to here. I came off the streets of Hollywood. Someone invites me to hear this, you know, middle-aged bald-haired gentleman by the name of Chuck Smith. And I was like, wow. I'm going to cut all my hair off and look exactly like <laughs> So I there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's why Ron's bald. He wants to be Chuck Smith. <laughs> Sometimes the preachers that you're describing can say everything's biblical. And I don't have any objection with that. I don't have any objection with style. I mean, I'm all for, for you know, modern, hip, cool, region. I, I, none of that bothers me. But the, the methods need to be consistent with the message. They can't be, they can't be you know, ungodly me methods to godly, you know, means. The end doesn't justify the means. But in those few, those few little areas where they're not, where they're saying something that's contrary to scripture, that's the danger. That would be the detriment. And that can happen in a suit and tie in a conservative church. It can happen in any venue, any look. So, so, so none of that really matters. It's all about content in my mind. Style is changes, but content is the most important thing. So a lot of times I'll hear a sermon that everything that's said is biblical, but it's not what the text said. That's probably the most common thing I hear, is everything they said is okay, it's biblical, but it's not really from the text they use. So they should have used something else. Or you could just preach from a poetry book or from the newspaper. Or you could preach from anything. Why, why even preach from the Bible if you're not expounding the text? You know, you could use, you could, I, I actually, when I was young, I was in a church where the pastor would actually read a story from Reader's Digest and preach a sermon from it. And everything he said was biblical, but, it, but he didn't use the text. So it's like, why are we here if we're not, you know, drawing our text from the Bible? So it's kind of a, you know, it, it, it kind of, it can be both. Could be bad, could be good. I, I'd be real sensitive if it's a young believer and, they're, and they are getting in the word and growing. I wouldn't be so quick to pull it away from them. I would actually just try to gently, lovingly, tactfully wean them onto some more, some more biblically-centered preaching. I, I would be very, very tactful. When someone comes to me and says they're listening to so-and-so, and I know that it's not maybe the best teaching, I don't always say anything. I don't discourage them or encourage them. I just try to trust them to God, let God protect them, take care of them. But then there's other times when I might tactfully feel like I need to very, speak the truth in love, but be very gentle to warn them and concern them. To, about the dangers, but it has to be done very gently and loving, or you can push them farther away. It's a very delicate situation.
question. So um, as somebody who's, I mean, I've been sitting under expository teaching for like two and a half years now. And uh, so now I'm learning to do it myself here at Calvary Bible Institute. And uh, what would be your guys' suggestions? Because I know the first few times I prepared messages, it seemed as if I depended on commentaries to form my message. But I, now that I'm learning exegesis rather than eisegesis, I want to be more led by the Spirit and allow commentaries to enrich my studies rather than to direct them. What would be your guys' suggestion on that? It sounds to me like you were on the right track. You just continue on down it. Yeah. And, and just realize that it, it's a building work that takes not months, but just years. And God will give you great blessing every step along the way with that. Okay, another quick question, then this will wrap it up. And thank you so much for... And be encouraged, because guess what? Most of us up here, we wish we could burn all of the sermons we preached when we were your age. Amen. But you know what? Each and every one of them were valuable and helpful, and God, in His grace and His mercy, used them. When you're speaking and teaching to the people that God brings to you, and their life is changed, their heart is changed, they're growing, they're edified, their relationships and marriages are strengthened, uh, they're turning from sin, they're walking in holiness, guess what, you're making a difference. And so again, it isn't just about all of the quote unquote mistakes or setbacks or whatever, it's the learning process itself that yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Quick question. When it comes to preaching and teaching in the Old Testament, is it mandatory to point to Jesus? Yes. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have life, but they are those which testify of me. Now, I'm not saying that you, you have to say the text and then make an immediate beeline to the cross, although that's exactly what Spurgeon said. But guess what? <laughs> Whatever it is that you're looking at in the Old Testament, it has something to do with Jesus. It has something to do with creation, the fall, redemption or reconciliation. From Genesis to Revelation, each chapter, each book has something to do with Jesus. Pray and ask the text, show me Jesus, and the Lord will.